Without a mother, his father Leo from Long Beach, California. Hi everybody. Hi everybody. My name is Leo, and I'm an alcoholic. Let me just say, out of the very beginning, that it is for me a great joy and privilege to be here from Long Beach, California, near Los Angeles, in the Great Paducah. Uh, some of you may remember that the last time I was here, I was made a Duke of Paducah. <coughs> and then I came back, and they made me a Colonel. So what are you going to do this time? <laughs> a joy to be here as part of your convention. Seems to me that uh, this month, spending quite a bit of time in this state, because I'm in uh, Louisville. Uh, yes. Louisville. Kentucky. Um, at the end of this month, at an AA deal. Um, it wasn't easy for me sometimes with the accents. You probably realize you talk a little funny. Uh, somebody once said, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, who said that America and England are two countries divided by a common language. Sometimes that's very true. I remember once having my bishop, I'm Episcopal, my bishop and his wife, the dinner, and I had my 88-year-old mother, who some of you have met from the recovery trips I've done, with me, and she's, she's, my mother's different. You have a mother like my mother, my mother will ask a question, and then she answers her own question, and then she walks away mad. But anyway, um, she's, a, she's, a, she's what we say in English, she's a live card. And the, I said to her, I said, now the bishop and his wife's coming, behave. So she said she would, and she behaved all the way through the meal till the bishop was leaving. And when the bishop was leaving, she got him by the hand, she shook him by the hand, and she says, Bishop, it was wonderful having you here for dinner. Now please go home and keep your pecker up. <laughs> now I don't know whether you realize it, but in England the pecker means the nose. It's kind of like... I could tell by the expression on the bishop's face that pecker didn't mean the same in America. Bishop's wife was heard to say, I wish he could. Somebody, somebody, sorry, somebody, somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, oh, I see my mother's still here. Somebody said to me a, a couple of weeks ago, Father Leo, did you hear the story about the drunk and the priest? And I said, oh, there's so many. So she said, no, this one is the, the, the priest, he's this drunk, he's, he's a mess, he's, he's just, some of us would have no, no problem imagining what he looked like. 
And apparently this Frank turns to the priest and says to the priest, How do you get arthritis, Father? How do you get arthritis? And the, and the priest looks at him and says, looking at him, he says, oh, I'll, I'll tell you how you get arthritis. Through drinking and womanizing. Not doing a day's work and sitting in your own pee. That's how you get arthritis. He says, how long have you had it? And the drunk says, I haven't got it, but I read yesterday that the Pope has it. <laughs> As you probably gather, I'm not from Ohio. I'm from England. Just for you to know, by the way, I'm not the only recovering alcoholic or drunk that's come from that country. Some of you may remember that we had a very famous very famous Prime Minister called Winston Churchill. And those of you, and I know many of you follow his life with great interest, he used to drink a bottle of brandy a day. That was just the brandy. And there's a lovely story about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was having dinner with Lady Astor. And Lady Astor turned to Winston Churchill and said, Winnie, Winnie, you're drunk. And Winston Churchill, in his inimitable way, said, Madam, you are ugly. <laughs> but I shall wake up sober in the morning. <laughs> she was quick to say to him, she said, Winnie, Winnie, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your soup. Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> I know that we're at a wonderful 12-step. I know we're at a wonderful 12-step state convention here. And I just wanted to see anybody, anybody, anybody here from Al-Anon? Anyone from... Don't be shy, you never used to be. <laughs> Very good. Very good. The Al-Anons are here. The lovely story about Alanon. Oh yes, Alanon. This lady had four years in Alanon. How many years? How many? But she married badly. On the, and on their wedding night, they went to the bedroom. And the man, he took off his trousers and he threw his trousers in the middle of the bedroom. He says, wife? Get into those trousers. She said, I can't get into those trousers. He says, no. And don't ever forget who wears the trousers in this marriage. But she had how many years in Alamon? How many? She did no more. She took off her panties. And she threw her panties into the middle of the bedroom. She said, husband, get into those panties. He said, I can't get into those panties. She says, no, and you won't until you change your attitude. <laughs> now, some, some of you, 
especially those of you new in the program. Some of you may be, some of you may be interested in thinking what's recovery got to do with panties? Everything. Everything. And I say this to you today, Friday, in Padukat, because some of us today are learning to say no to things that for years we said yes to. And maybe for the first time some of us are saying yes to things that for years we said no to. We've only just begun. We've only just begun. You will get from this talk exactly what you want. Be under no mistake. You want to have a bit of fun? You want to have a little bit of a laugh? Oh, you can have that. I promise you. But also, because this talk is based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you want your life to be changed, and I mean changed on every level, then you can have that too. We've only just begun. You will hear my story, but you will also hear your own. Because it's really, like every speaker, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And the only thing I say to you is, because I say to myself on a daily basis, recovery has to be, for me, the highest priority, the highest priority, the highest you have to want it more than anything else, more than anything else. And then once you have that, you can have it all. More than my father, more than my mother, more than my priesthood, more than anything that I can think of. Why? Because without sobriety, truly, I would have no mother, no father, no priesthood. And I say that as one who knows. The reason why people relapse, the only reason why people like us relapse, is because we forget who we are. The Jews, the Jews for many years have talked to the world, and the Jews have said to the world, we will write about the Holocaust, we'll speak about the Holocaust, and we'll have meetings about the Holocaust, because if we don't, it might all come back. That's why we are here at this convention. You will read about it, there are books about it, you will hear speakers, and you will go to meetings and share. Why? Because if we don't, we know it will all come back. We are truly the people of remembrance. We are the people of remembrance. And those of us who forget, and by the way, that's exactly what the disease wants, so we don't have a sponsor, we don't know the 12 steps, 
We don't see a need to go to meetings because we've now got two years of recovery. And pretty soon, we embrace upon the slippery slope. I only share this with you as somebody who this year will celebrate 23 years of recovery. And uh, thank you. And like so many people who have a few years, I have seen many of my friends go out. And I can honestly say to you, every one of them went out when they first left this program. It was only a matter of time before they were to drink again. By the way, I got sober on the 4th of July. In England, we don't keep the 4th of July. <laughs> Terrible waste of tea. And so I'm going to, and by the way, by the way, I want to share with you, I am an Episcopal priest, by the way, I was raised Roman Catholic to be a Jesuit. But my belief is that this is a spiritual program, not a religious program. Truly, I'm not interested in what particular religious denomination you belong to, and the reason is you probably didn't pick it. Most people are born Catholics. Most people are born Baptists or Pentecostal, Jewish. In other words, you're born into a family, just like you're born black or you're born white, you're born Latino. There are some things that we do not choose. They are given. But then there are some things that we do choose. Spirituality and religion are not the same. In this program, I cannot remember who it was, it may have been Chuck Chamberlain, it may have been Clancy I. I don't know who said it, but I know I heard it, and I've never forgotten it. And that is, religion is man-made, spirituality is God-given. Religion has divided people for too long. Spirituality teaches the world to hold hands. This is a spiritual program, it has never pretended to be a religious program. You are to find a God of your understanding, not a God of any particular church. Last year, in October, I was in China, meeting with recovering people in China. They are mainly Buddhist. I cannot tell you the power of some of the meetings I had, meeting with people in another country who are using the same 12 steps and 12 traditions. I've met with people in, in India who are Hindu. This is a spiritual program. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. In this program we practice the principles in all our affairs. Alcohol is only mentioned once in the steps. The other 11 steps are about how we change our attitude and our behavior. Some of you are very fond of Father Martin. If you are fond of Father Martin, you know Father Joseph Martin says and has said on many occasions that he met a man who said he used to be a drunken thief and today he is a sober thief. And Father Martin says, no, no, no. 
In this program, you cannot be a thief. In this program, you cannot be a bigot or a racist. You cannot be a sexist. This is a program about freedom. It is not a program about bigotry. We've only just begun. I am still discovering parts of me on a daily basis and still working on parts of me even though I've not taken a drink. And I'm sure that is true for you. And so although I am an Episcopal priest today in the Diocese of Los Angeles, I can promise you, and in fact when I'm in Louisville I'm speaking not at an Episcopal church. In fact, I do not care what church I go to because the message is the same. And that is that you need to discover a God as you can understand God. And you will only understand that when you start to find out who you are. We've only just begun. And so, I'm going to do what the program says I should do and say what it was like what happened and what it's like now. I started to drink in a private school in England. They used to give us beer to drink before we went to sleep. And it wasn't, by the way, that I got drunk and it wasn't particularly that I liked the taste. But I liked how I felt when I drank. Some of us are discovering that this truly is a disease of the feel I liked how I felt when I drank. I'm five foot seven, five foot eight on a very good day. But when I drank I felt six foot two ha, oh, bigger. I had a stutter, a stutter. We're talking a stutter. When I drank I lost a stutter. I thought I'd found a friend, a friend who was going to be with me home. Oh, I thought, oh, I thought, and nobody in England called alcohol a drug. Drug addicts were different, alcohol, everybody that I knew. From the royal family to the prime minister, the people that you see, people drank. Drink, drinking is, as you know, drinking like smoking is part of life in England. In fact, when I walked in here with all the smoke, I thought I was in London. <laughs> people drink, people smoke, it's part of life. So I thought I'd found a friend. I drank all through some of the better universities. I went to three, three universities in England. And in 1971, 1971, I was ordained a priest and I was let loose on a church. <laughs> oh, yep. And just like you, it's just like you. Just like you, I had to have a reason to drink. I had to have an excuse. So I said to the other priests, the lost and the lonely, those sheep, sheep without a shepherd, they need me, and I know where I know I know where they are. They're all in the bar. 
Now you walk into a bar dressed like this, people notice you. People say there's a walking oil slick, just come in. Everybody wants to talk to a priest, even if they don't like you. They want to come over and say hello. People used to send me drinks. Give the priest a drink. Give him a double. Give him a triple. Then later in the evening, you know how it is. They come over, they come over. They say, you're the kind of priest we like. You drink like we drink. Oh, Jesus sent you to us. Oh, yeah. You drink like we drink. You smoke like we smoke. You throw up like we throw up. Everybody from the bars came to my church. My church was full of alcoholics. One woman said to her husband, one woman said to her husband, shall we stay at home and listen to Benny Hill? Or shall we go to church listen to Father Leo? Same thing's going to happen. <laughs> and it did. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're an alcoholic and you drive a truck, there's going to be times you're drunk in the truck. If you're an alcoholic and a nurse, there's going to be times you're drunk in the hospital. If you're an alcoholic and a priest, there's going to be times you're drunk doing one of the services. I remember once doing a funeral and I'd been drinking before the funeral. I followed the coffin into the hole. I tell you, it's real scary when you hear the amens coming from above. But it was an Irish, Irish funeral. <laughs> Nobody noticed. <laughs> eventually, somebody, eventually, eventually, somebody says, there's a priest in the hole. <laughs> I have to get him out. They just pull me out. We carried on. I was full of dirt. It was kind of like this is what happened. Nobody made a fuss. Just get the priest out of the hole. <laughs> you know something? Nobody knows about that. You know that? I mean, nobody. The only people who know are the people I tell. When you think about it, you talk about your alcoholism. You have, you, if you're an alcoholic like me, you've got a lot of stories no one knows. I mean, unless you tell them. What, you were wet in the bed? Oh, like me, I used to pee in the corner. I thought it was the toilet. What about those telephone calls? Two o'clock in the morning to somebody you met in Mexico in 1978. <laughs> thought you'd just call to say hello. A lot of our stories, I'm telling you, a lot of our stories nobody knows. Unless we tell them. And if you want to know, if you want to know why most of us 
are coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, it's because it got out. It got, it got out. People started to talk. Maybe the wife or the husband or the mother, it got out. People started to put pressure on. People started to say stuff. It got out. That's why we're here. We're here because it got out. Now, after this funeral, it didn't, it didn't get out. So I carried on. But he was to get, it's going to get out. How did it get out? Well, I'm a priest. I do priest stuff. I was, I had to do a baptism. And you know, this is how it got out. I had to do a baptism. It was a big baptism. People flew in. Grandparents flew in. It was big. It, we're talking big. B-I-G-G-E, big. This was big. And I'd had a few drinks, but I wasn't drunk. But I was mellow. Now, when you're mellow, you're loose. It's kind of like you don't need a lot of help. We're moving here. And I got there, I got the stuff on my robes, and I said, give me the baby. Will you give me, will you give me the baby? I baptized the baby in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Daphne. I didn't ask anybody. When you're mellow, you know. It's Daphne. The mother, she let loose such a scream. She says, Father Leo, it's a little boy. I said, I don't care what the hell it is. It's Daphne now. She said, is there anything we can do about it? I said, no. Forever and a day, he will be called Daphne. <laughs> How do you make amends to a thing like that? But it got out. The next day, she must have called the bishop. She called the bishop. Now, you realize the bishop's only an employer dressed in purple. She called the bishop and he tell up. He telephoned me. He said, Bruce, that's my name. He said, Bruce. I said, yes. He said, I want to see you tomorrow. It's the bishop, nine o'clock. Put the phone down. I thought, why does the bishop want to see me? I'd forgotten about the baptism. You know what we like. We move on. I mean, we move on. It's a new day. I thought, why does the bishop? Why does the bishop want to see me? Then I got it. Promotion. <laughs> I go to. I go to see the bishop, and the bishop says to me, he "says I've got a letter, a letter, a letter." I said, "Good." He said, it's about you, you fool. Oh, you're a fool. You're sick. 
You're demented. Are you having a breakdown? Hey, this bishop needed Alaron. <laughs> then he looked away. He looked at me straight in the eyes. He was a small man. He looked at me straight in the eyes and he said, he said, and I know you, I know you've heard this, he said, had you been drinking? Had you been drinking, Bruce, when you did this baptism? Now see if you can identify with this. Who? Me? I swear on the Bible. <laughs> but he didn't believe me. But it, but he couldn't prove it. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation when you're telling a lie? You know that they know you're telling a lie. You know that they know, but they can't prove it. <laughs> then he said. This was in England, 1977. Then he said, Quit it! <laughs> Just quit it! I said, Quit it! He said, Just quit it! Nothing about AA. You follow me now? Nothing about, he never even suggested a therapist. Just quit it. <laughs> so I'm driving home. I'm going to quit it. I'll just quit it. Quit it. I'll quit it. <laughs> you want to know a funny thing on a Friday night in Paducah? I quit it for six months. Cunning. Baffling, powerful, patient. This is a disease that can wait. And if you want to know what this sick head said, if I could quit it for six months, I'm not an alcoholic. I wasn't sober, I was dry. And there's a big difference between sober and dry. Maybe there are some people at this convention who are dry. Dry is not the same. Dry, dry is like a dry leaf. A dry leaf, you put any pressure on a dry leaf and it snaps. I've met many people, oh, they get angry so quick, quick, snap. They're not out of drink, but they're not sober. I went to Texas at one of these conventions. Somebody met me at the airport like Joe. I mean, not like Joe, but like Joe. <laughs> met me at the airport, and he's driving a Cadillac. And the lights change on the way to the convention. And he says, God, I hate it when they do that. I said, don't worry. They'll change back. <laughs> You know if you're dry. You know, I can tell you, I can tell you the characteristics of dry. They always find fault. 
You can find fault with the big book. You can find fault with the speaker. You can find fault. You always find fault. Always go to the difference. Not what we have in common. Dry people, dry people, they have that face. You know, the kind of face like uh, Tammy Bay Baker, remember that face? It's like a mask. It's not a real, it's not a, it's a, there. Dry people get angry. Dry people can be violent. Dry people have mood swing. They didn't take a drink. This program is not, never has been, not about being dry. This program is about sobriety. Sobriety is about being supple. You bend. A dry leaf can't bend. A supple, a supple leaf will bend. You learn to live and let live. Sober people take care of their garden. They leave others to take care of their garden. Remember, remember, sober people understand that every time, every time you point a finger at somebody, there are, there are three fingers and a thumb pointing at you. They know this. Life's too short for all these arguments and fights. Some of you here in Paducah, you heard many speakers a speaker can only do his best. And every speaker is different. There is no one way to read the big book. And there is no one way to do the steps. Each person has their own personality and their own individual character and nature. Respect. God forbid we're going to start to have people who use the big book or 12 step to beat somebody over the head with. That is not what this program has ever been about. Dry people are unhappy. You can always tell them. It doesn't matter how many years they're unhappy and it shows in their face. I often say, are you happy? Are you happy? And if they say yes, I say, tell your face, because your face doesn't know. Your face doesn't, just take a minute, go in the restroom, look, your face doesn't know. And you, you say to me, is this anything to do with the program? You bet, because let us remember, we are a program of attraction. If you want young people, if you want people to stay in the program, if you want people to commit themselves to this 12-step program, you and I, who have sobriety, have to be attractive figures. Sometimes when I'm in a meeting and somebody says, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say, I say, well, sit down. <laughs> Let somebody get up who does. Don't stand there for 20 minutes saying you don't know what you're going to say. Why am I saying this? Why am I saying this? Because, believe you me, miracles work, but miracles are not magic. Miracle and magic, not the same. Magic's a trick. Miracle is when a speaker or a sponsor or somebody with the program of attraction touches the heart of somebody's life. 
And that's our responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, because we commit to carry this message. And you bet your face has something to do with it. You bet your attitude has something to do with it. It has never been enough just not to drink. That's not what this program is about. Having had a spiritual awakening, what? We wake up. And it is not just about loving God. It's about loving yourself. Some of the sickest people in the world love God. Believe me, some of the sickest, craziest people you're ever going to meet love God. The problem is they don't love themselves. This 12-step program is not about you finding God, it's about you finding yourself. We've only just begun. So for six months I was dry. Dry like that leaf. And guess what? On a Wednesday, it's a Wednesday. My relapse took place on a Wednesday. People think nothing happens on a Wednesday. If you're going to relapse, it's going to be on a Friday or Saturday or Thanksgiving. Watch out for Wednesday. It follows Tuesday. It was a wet day in England, 1977. And I got a telephone call to go to a girl's 21st party. And would you believe it? Here's a coincidence. And some of us here know a coincidence is God working a miracle anonymously. I'm at this party, this 21-year-old girl's party. And would you believe it? I've not been drinking for six months. I'm drinking seven up. I'm fizzed out on seven up. And I meet somebody at that party who knows me. Coincidence? No. And this person, she says, Father Leo, I knew you years ago in Sussex, England. I said, hello. She said, uh, what, what are you drinking? I said, seven up. She says, oh. Uh, no, I remember you. She says, you are gin and tonic. Let me get you a gin and tonic. I said, no. She says, a double, a large one. I says, okay. <laughs> now that's it. There we go. There's the relapse. That's how easy it can happen. That's how it happens. On a Wednesday, raining. Who would have ever thought it? Now, you want to know a funny thing in Paducah? I only had that one drink, because I bet some of you thought he's a gunner. Oh, he's a gunner. He's a gunner. I took that drink, talked a little bit, went home, but I left my watch. Here we go. <laughs> left my watch in the toilet when I was washing my hands at the party. I wake up the next morning after the one drink, cunning, baffling, powerful. Patient. I will ask my watch. So I call the, the hotel where the 21st party was. I go to get the watch. They've got it. It's in the restroom. I go to get it and the man says, Here's your watch, Father Leo. Oh, and have one. The lion.
was disturbed. You want to know with tears, with tears in her eyes, tears in her eyes, how many times my mother cried to me and said, the pain for me was, I never knew when. I never knew when you were going to change. Everybody lived on eggshells because I never knew when your disease was going to kick in. And I took that drink, remember the night before, large gin and tonic, went home. But when I took that drink that morning, when he gave me the watch, I needed to drink. And if you're an alcoholic, you know exactly how I needed to drink. And I had one drink there, and I had another drink there, and then I went to another bar, and another bar, and another bar. And this is the 3rd of July, 1977. My last drink, I went from one bar to the next bar to the next bar, and by three o'clock in the afternoon, I was as drunk as a skunk. And I drove my car, but I didn't make it home. Maybe I did. Maybe I did make it home. My car hit a tree and hit a lamppost and the car, sh the car shut up. The car shut up. It, it shut up in the air. <laughs> Two old ladies in a garden said, look. <laughs> There's Father Leo. <laughs> but I didn't stay up there. Crash, bang, one, it's a mess. I'm bleeding, it's, I mean, my face is a mess. I'm not hurt badly, but I'm damaged, I'm cut with the glass that the car turned, it's a mess. Nobody else was hurt, I'm sitting, it's a mess. I can hear the ambulance and the police, and here's my moment. I hope you can remember your moment. The last time, the last time, the last time. Because in my moment, I stepped out of myself. And now I'm looking at me. And I saw me bleed. I'm, I'm looking down at me and I see me bleeding. And I see me hurt. And I don't like what I see. There's a moment in everybody's life. And that's why you're here. Maybe your moment was you woke up in a jail and you know you're not a criminal. Maybe your moment was the woman that you love more than anybody else, her face is bleeding again because of you. Maybe your moment is as a mother, your children don't want to know you. There are many moments in this room what a powerful story it would be if we could just see the moments in this room. Maybe some of us, now some of us made our own mothers and our own fathers cry. They've cried most of their lives. Why? Because of us. They should have been having the best years. There are many moments in this room. My car crashed, I saw me, and all you need to know is I went to hospital. And at the hospital, they took me to AA, and I was in hospital for three months. 
And I'm not somebody who says that when I went to AA, I, I didn't like it because I liked it. And you know why I liked it? Because the speaker was a Jewish woman in England. She was a Holocaust survivor and she was a drunk. And I'm not Jewish and I don't know anything much about the Holocaust, but I listened to that woman's pain when she talked about her alcoholism and her fear and her shame, even after the Holocaust. And she talked about her loneliness. And I knew her feelings. I knew her disease. I was so fortunate to go to an AA meeting when this woman shared because I cried for the cried. Not because of her life, but because of mine. AA works when it touches your life. And those of us who are fortunate enough to be speakers or sponsors or readers we take our responsibility very seriously. Because believe you me, I've seen some people absolutely bored in meetings. And it's not only the fault of the people who are listening. And in this program my life changed. Because that's when I suddenly realized that spirituality and religion is not the same. This woman gave me an insight into God that I'd never had before. And then I read that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about discovering a God as you understand God. And it's a very personal thing and a very precious thing. Anybody can quote from a book. Anybody can tell you stories of the prodigal son, but when somebody shares their personal experience of God in their lives, that's when people are touched. And I suddenly realized that this spiritual program is based on 12 steps, and you don't have to take the steps. It's up to you. You can stay at step one if you want. But if you really want to work the program, then there's 12 steps. We admitted. Who admitted? We did. Came to believe. Who came to? Who came? I came to believe. Made a decision. Who made a decision? I made a decision. Right up to the 12th step, and it's still personal. Having had a spiritual awake, who had it? Who had it? I had it. Twelve steps is a very personal journey, a journey into yourself. And I don't know why some people don't get it, but it is not the purpose of this program for your life to be unmanageable and powerless all the way through. That's the first step. Of course, when you come into this program, your life is unmanageable and you feel powerless. That's the first step. But you're not going to stay all through your life like that. Some of us are paying our bills. Some of us, are, we got a job and we show up on time. We, 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 we're not irresponsible people today. That's why we're employable. We are managing our affairs. No disrespect to God. 
I went, I went, I went, I went to a school in Los Angeles the other day and I was talking and you know that the kids in the school, they did not know, they did not know that Christopher Columbus discovered this cut. They didn't know he was alcoholic. They didn't know. I said, think about it. When he set off, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. When he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. And it was all paid for by a woman. Queen Isabella. But seriously, I tell you something, some of us, we keep putting ourselves down. It's a 12-step program. Having had a spiritual awakening and in that awakening is your dignity and your power and your self-respect. No longer should anybody in this program allow anybody to treat them with disrespect or push them around. Those days are over. The dignity of God is the dignity of the spiritual awakening. And I know you sometimes hear people in this program, and I'm only sharing my opinion, but some people seem to be saying to God, God, take my life, take, take my life. And God says, no. <laughs> and you say, hey, take, take, no. And then God looks at you straight in the eyes and says to you, don't you hand your life back. Live it. Face your tears. Go through your pain. I gave you life. How dare you hand it back? Life is to be lived. And in my 23 years of recovery this year, let me tell you, I still have pain and still have sickness and still have people let me down and I will still face people close to me dying. Bad things still happen to good people. But in this program, my reaction is different. I don't respond the way I did because of this program. This program does not change what happens to me. It changes how I respond to what happens to me. And that is the power of the spiritual program. Who would have thought the drunken priest from England in 1977 would have come to this country in 1980? Who would have thought the priest who was drunk, who'd never written a book, would have written so many books and some of them bestsellers on spirituality and recovery? Who would have thought? Who would have thought that somebody who even my mother said, you're never going to amount to anything, would have appeared on Geraldo, Oprah Winfrey, Oprah three times, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and Geraldo. Who would have thought? Who would have thought a narrow-minded Englishman would have embraced the spirituality of all cultures and all backgrounds? Who would have thought? Who would have thought of a man who nobody wanted to, to know? Nobody wanted to know me just after that car crash. Who would have thought that man would take recovering people on retreats and cruises 
some of the people who've been with me on these spirituality recovery 12-step cruises to Mexico, Bahamas, Alaska. Who would have thought our lives change? Some of you are sitting next, some of you are sitting next to somebody who, would you ever have been married before? Now you're married. Some of you may be having children. Some of you buying your own house. The miracle of this program. Who would have thought? It's the most powerful thing. And I don't get to Paducah, I don't get to Paducah anywhere near enough, but any of you who want to stay in touch with me and my office, you see me afterwards and I'll give you information so you can stay in touch with me. Because we are family. At the back there, somebody said to me, at the back there, they said, are you nervous? No, I'm not nervous. Nobody in this room ever hurt me. Nobody in this room ever made my father bleed. Nobody in this room ever made my mother sob with tears. There's only one person in this room I fear. His name, his name is Leo. I don't know about you, but I've been the single biggest problem in my life. And if I've been the single biggest problem in my life, don't you see? I can be the single biggest solution. If I don't have me, I have nothing. If I have me, I have the world. And I promise you I will never go second class again in this life. And anybody who knows me and travels with me or comes with me, I tell you, if it's not the best, why am I there? Because I realized today that at the root of my alcoholism was low self-esteem and self-hatred. Today I love me. And I love the people who share a spiritual journey with me. I end. It's gone so quick, hasn't it gone quick? It's gone quick. <laughs> I end. My talk to you in Paducah. Tomorrow I have to go to Sacramento, but I will be here for some of the morning to say hello to some of you. But I do have to go to Sacramento tomorrow to speak on Sunday morning. But I end. Seven, eight years ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. At a big convention, maybe 2,000 people of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I shared my moment, and afterwards people came over, like they do, they come over, they say, how can we stay in touch with you, can we have your telephone number? And then this guy came over and said to me, my name's David, I'm 19 years old, I've come from a recovery house, and I heard you share, and you talked, remember you talked about your car crash, and you called it a moment. A moment that led to you finding yourself. I said, yes, I remember, David. He said, I had a moment too. Now, I want to share it with you because you come from England. And my moment was listening to a song I'd listened to but I'd never heard. I'd listened to this song for years but I'd never heard it. And the group that sang the song for the Beatles... 
and I was going out to drink, I was going out to get some crack. I know what I was going out for. And then this song came on. And just like the car crash stopped you in your tracks, this song stopped me and brought tears to my eyes, Father Leo. I said, what was the song? He says, these are the words. And I share them with you tonight. Maybe you have listened to this song many times and never heard it. Because this song is about Alcoholics Anonymous. When I was a young man, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now those days have gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and I've opened up the door. So help me. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please, help me. And he says, Father Leo, in these rooms I found help. I says, I know David because I found the help too. I don't know how long you have in this program. But I can tell you this, that if you really want the help, it's here. And you will discover three things. In this program, you will live again like you've never lived before. In this program, you will start to love and love yourself like you've never loved before. And thirdly, and maybe the most important quality of all, in this program, you'll start to laugh again. You'll laugh like you've never laughed. God bless you all. Thank you. Okay, on behalf of the committee, and I heard Father Leo say that he was a Duke before, and we have the award for him again tonight, so I guess he'll become a double Duke. <laughs>